The Secrets of Movies and TV Shows is brought to you by the StarQuest Podcast Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Ready Player One, where we'll discuss the deeper layers and meaning of the Steven Spielberg film and book by Ernest Klein, Ready Player One. And joining me today on the panel are Lisa Handy. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Dom. Great to uh, be with you. It's great to have you. Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Great. And Sarah Vabulous. Hi, Sarah. Hello, Dom. So uh, this is a, a podcast I've been looking forward to because uh, Ready Player One was one of those books I really loved when I read it. Everybody, it seemed like everybody was reading it at one point. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, they said they're going to make a movie. And then they said Steven Spielberg is going to make it. And which is great because Ready Player One is quintessentially a, well, for some of us, it's a, it's a journey to our childhood. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and in that, uh, you know, I was uh, preteen and then teen in the 80s. And Steven Spielberg essentially is the, the pop culture source for much of the 80s. And so for him to make this film uh, was, a, was a revisit to oh, that. Yeah. Um, so I just kind of want to first talk about the book being translated into the movie. Uh, so uh, I think we established before... Um, I've read the book first. Um, who else read the book? I did. Father and Cork I did. And Sarah. But Lisa, Lisa, you came into the movie. Surprisingly, I did not see the movie. It's, you, you, or I did not read the book. You didn't read the book. Okay. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> if you didn't see the movie, this would be a very difficult yeah. podcast. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, I, I'm sorry. I did not read the book before uh, seeing the movie. And I actually saw the movie in Scotland. Oh, wow. Um, that would make it yeah. uh, different. Um <laughs> well, actually, that that actually will give you a, a, a get an interesting perspective from you on the movie, having not read the uh, the book first, um, because the book is sort of substantially different from the movie. Mm. Uh, what did you all think about the, that, uh, Father Corey? I'll start with you. How did you, uh, you know, how did you feel with the differences? We don't have to get into the exa exactly right. what the differences are, but just how it was different. You know, at first I was, I, I think like most people who read and enjoyed the book was kind of concerned about it, but it also kind of makes sense because it is so ingrained, so much of the book and, and the movie uh, deals with pop culture from the 80s, things that are still very much in copyright, still very much in trademark protection. Um, you can understand that there was a lot of behind the scenes that they would have to change, you know, certain references to certain items. Then, of course, there's also the fact that not everything in the book would come across on the screen as well. You know, you talk about um, like uh, I just kind of re re refreshing myself looking at the kind of the book where he had to to recreate war games. Right. He in had to book. play Matthew Broderick's character to continue on in the, the, the game, you know, to continue on to find the, the keys. Right. That wouldn't have come, come across on the film very well. They would so you have can had, understand why they yeah. changed that, but they, but doing that, they they then introduced a different film that they could kind of inhabit a little bit, which was they, mm -hmm. it's like they they replaced war games with, um, with uh, the Shining, 
The Shining. Right. We'll get into that. It's still that, but, but it still yeah. wasn't a it wasn't a scene for scene recreation. Right. You know, like, I, was, I was waiting for Jack Nicholson to show up, but unfortunately he did it. I wish they would have put that in. <laughs> yeah, that's that a personal thing. I, I don't think he was available. Uh, <laughs> but um, but it um, you know, and, and as you know, as he kind of thought about it, it really made sense. And no, it's not the same story. It is, but it isn't. Let me rephrase that. Right. The basic, I would say the basic plot is still there. The basic ideas are still there. Right. They just had to use other cultural touchstones to accomplish it, in my opinion. So, Sarah, you know, did you feel like that, that, um, you know, obviously they had to simplify from the book, uh, like Father Corey was saying, they had to really, you know, get things. The book had so much in it. Uh, that they had to simplify the story. Did that? Do, did you feel like it made the the story shallower? The the movie would be shallower than it, than the book was. You know, I do. As a matter of fact, because I feel like the relationships between some of the main characters just was miss. It was a miss because it didn't have all the backstory. It didn't necessarily come from different parts of the globe. And so just for me, I felt like, oh, okay, so these people, they all live within a couple hundred <laughs> miles of each other. And while that's great, it's much more compelling to say that people f- like got here from Asia and from Europe. And, and so some of that relationship development, which this is totally just a my personality thing, obviously, uh, this is something I love is, is community and relationships. And so just to think that that to me wasn't as strong, and that was my favorite part of listening to the audiobook other than Will Wheaton, but of that was the story that that Klein wrote and wove in how deep those relationships could get built over the internet. Hello, the four of us sitting here and, exactly. uh, and, and everything that could come out of that. Yeah, it was the, that was one of the things that kind of struck, struck me is that um, the relationship between, say, uh, Parzival and H was so very different. I mean, yeah, H, we okay. I have to say, the spoilers going to be for the, both the book and the movie in this mm-hmm. podcast, obviously, just up front. But in the book, H had a thing for Parzival. There, there was that. There was that a bit of that tension there of uh, H being, you know, Parzival not realizing that H is a girl. That was a big one. But then H having a sort of a, a crush on Parzival and him not knowing, and and um, uh, you know, for. For nerdy folks, you know, some some of the audience really probably identified with that unrequited teen crush aspect of it. And that's lost. And so, so many elements are lost. Even like the I, I like that, you know, uh, um, what are the they change the names uh, show uh, show and Daito um, mm-hmm. while they show up here and they the high five is together to the end in the book. They they both die sort of off screen, mm-hmm. um, and the, those losses, those sacrifices, are very felt real. Um, that and the other thing that they did was they, the the um, the compression of the time span. You know, the time span of the movie is probably what a week <laughs> at best, mm-hmm. whereas in the in the book it was over a course of over a year. I think almost like two years, maybe. So you know, the, so the 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 book the the movie does very much simplify the story. I mean, at one point they end up living at Ogden Morrow's house mm-hmm. uh, and, and there's some elements like that. The challenges were a lot simplified as well. Um, but you can't, I mean, 
What are you going to make a 10 hour movie? Exactly. Right. Well, <laughs> in fact, you know, I heard to, fans wanted a trilogy. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, yeah, it's, so I'm here for that. Let's, yeah. let's do it. Or they could have done what what is more and more common these days, which is make a Netflix series out of it. You know, make mm. it mm-hmm. a 10 episode or 15 episode Amazon Prime or Netflix or whatever streaming series might have done the book more justice in in one sense but um but well you know so, but this is what we got so i'm i'm kind of you know so we, let's kind of talk about it from from that perspective then um unless unless you want to you know as we go along we can talk more about the differences from the book to the to the movie but um one of the things that struck me is, is and and i and i actually heard ernie klein talking about this in an interview um this this story ready player one the 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 the, the the challenge within it, the holiday challenge, is essentially Willy Wonka in virtual reality, mm-hmm. um, and and Halliday being the Wonka figure, and you know the the winner gets to control, take over the Wonka factory, that whole thing. Um, there's there's differences uh, that in that you know the people aren't eliminated along the way, and there's and that sort of stuff, but there's still it's it's essentially that story. Um, did anybody else, you know, kind of feel the same way or pick that up uh, or have anything they want to add about that? I just say like, it's this idea of that you're creating your legacy, you know, how you, as a creator of something, how, you know, you want what you created to move forward and the sense that perhaps that was being lost, um, which you can see a little bit in the Wonka analogy there too. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's cool. Um, you know, to uh, to control destiny for what you created. This that's a huge part of that. I think you're right. Is that um, Willie Willie Wonka wanted to turn his factory over to someone who had the same values, outlook, uh, the mm-hmm. same approach to things that he did, and that seemed to be Halliday's uh, um, motivation as well. Given that. He would be turning over the world's largest company, and that's as they talk about in it, and basically a, a a place of refuge for the world to to someone else. How do you ensure that that person is going to see it the same way, especially right. where where he doesn't have heirs to turn it over to? So. Um, I don't know if anybody saw or read um, the circle, but there's a little bit of that in there with like kind of from a social media perspective. And uh, Mm. it's uh, it's just an interesting concept that Mm. that book, you know, the uh, the creator actually is trying to subterfuge the the creation because he sees it's gone off the rails so bad. So maybe Mark Zuckerberg will have a game someday for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, turn over, instead of turning over to his children. Well, that's, I mean, it's an interesting idea is uh, like the Bill Gateses and the, it, we're at that point where so many of the, the founders of what we know now from the internet, from the web and from these giant technology mm-hmm. companies, they're approaching that point of turning their creations over. Like we've seen it with Apple. Apple has changed hands. Yep. Steve Jobs has, has passed away the next, the, it's, but it's not really next, necessarily next generation. I mean, it's just a new, um, you know, someone of his generation taking over, but we're approaching that point where the next generation is going to people who kind of who who grew up with these companies already existing, whether it's mm-hmm. Apple or Facebook eventually or Twitter, they're going to start to be the ones who are going to start running these things, and that's an interesting idea 
which is that Parzival and Artemis and those guys grew up with the Oasis as just part of their lives. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that, that fascinates me with the, the story is that Ernie Klein chose that to have the, that Halliday's obsession with the 80s w- became the Oasis. That that was the I, and that that obsession, his personal obsession with the 80s became something that was expressed in the real world outside the Oasis. So in the movie, uh, when they're in the in the real world, everybody's wearing sort of 80s throwback clothes and everyone listens to 80s music. And it's sort of it's kind of a little bit unlike what it's it's not. We don't really have that today, do we? Or do we have the. I mean, we we occasionally get throwback periods, but has we ever had anything that, uh, that some that all encompassing? I mean, a few years ago we saw some '70s style come back, or we, and then before that was some '50s styles were coming back. Well, I think we see styles kind of come and go, like you mentioned, but even throughout it, there's still, you know, there's still people who listen to you know '80s music. And have listened to 80s music since the 80s. Exactly. <laughs> Same year. Right here. I love, I love, the, I love, the, uh, I love the, the soundtrack for this movie because it's all like some of the greatest 80s songs. But, yep. you know, same thing with the 70s. Same thing with, you know, 90s, you know, turn of the century 2000s. You know, there are people who they're always listening to that music. They're always, you know, that culture. Um, it's It's a part of who they are. But we don't have it like this where it's one big overarching everybody's involved in this because yeah. you know it, it's there's not like that unity in in our cultural expressions if you will the interesting paradigm shift too of like the total lack of technology i mean how many movies do you see that were made in the 80s where it's like if they only had a cell phone the entire movie would have <laughs> yes. been the plot oh, yeah. of the movie would have been fundamentally different like i just i think um for you know what is the set like 2045 or something yes. to kind of Imagine a realm where that technology, where like, you know, an IBM Selectric was like high tech. Right. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever, any of you ever watched the TV show, The Americans? I um, haven't yet. So it's, uh, it takes place in the early 80s and it's about um, some Russian spies or deep cover living as if they're Americans living in the suburbs. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but they're spies. But the, the great thing about it is, is how often they have to do things that you know they have to find a payphone <laughs> to call right. somebody because that and that's the dramatic <laughs> moment just finding a payphone whereas you know in a movie or tv show of today set in today they just pick up their smartphone you know so and it's and in some ways it's it's that that difference uh in the, in the the 80s culture that that they mm-hmm. that they're they're live they're somewhat living in it's sort of this this amalgam of sci-fi future in a 80s culture kind of combined it's it's very interesting um of course it's not just the 80s there are elements from mm-hmm. out the pop culture like uh there i saw um the serenity from firefly in a several yes. scenes uh which is t- early 2000s so there's yep. there's other things from other periods as well but uh the 80s are key um so in the opening narration we have this this long opening narration where uh Parzival introduces the the world to us it, it, we get basically we get the senses the the world the real world is a bummer it's bad mm-hmm. people there's lots of poor people it it's no fun um 
And and as he says, nobody's trying to fix anything. And Halliday's the genius because he gave us an oasis so we could escape our problems without having to go anywhere at all. Um, what do you think of that? I, that idea of you know a world where life life is 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 a drudgery, um, and but we can escape into this other world, which leads us to not fixing the real world. I mean, is is that is that a is that a danger? Is that a danger that the uh, the Klein and Spielberg are trying to point out to us? Is what what do you think? I should let Sarah talk. Sarah, what do you think? Before I um, jump in on it. You know, um, Lisa, I'm not sure what you're going to say, but yeah, I do. I do think it's a danger. Um, and I think we've seen that on social networking, you know, that we had something happen on Catholic Twitter, as we call it, um, uh, I guess about a year or two years ago at this point, where someone was found out to be a fake of who they were. And it's pretty big controversy in that little corner of the internet. But I think there's a lot of that going on. And we, we think we know people when we really don't, whether, you know, whose fault that is, it, you know, it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, you know, we need to make sure we're being authentic in everything that we do. And while the internet's great, it's not reality. And we have to take mm -hmm. care of what our true reality is. Those friends that we interact with day to day, um, those friends that we get to see once or twice a year, but our real friends, those, those are what we really need to take care of. You know, the family that's in front of mm -hmm. us, you shouldn't, um, you know, brush aside, uh, what's in front of you because it's more painful than what exists in a virtual world, because mm -hmm. sometimes pain brings the most joy. That's yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> 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 what I was thinking of, and this might not be relevant to the two guys on the panel, but um, one thing that I think um, women struggle with, struggle with with the internet nowadays is the illusion of perfection that people put out there because mm. we can do things like filter our faces on pictures or, you know, we're, we're sort of, you know, it's like we're in this business of being transparent with our lives by using things like Instagram story and bringing people into our everyday lives, but it's a curated reality. Mm -hmm. And so we, we fall prey to feeling despair when we look at somebody else's life and think, Oh, why am I not doing X, Y, Z like this really cool person that I follow on the internet? I've never been a gamer, but I could see how, um, some people that I know that I'm related to on social media, I can look at them and, and think I know them through what they're showing me, but really it's a very carefully curated version. Um, and so it's just a, a constant consideration. And that's, that's, that's one thing I think the movie did a very good job of explicitly stating, you know, there was that scene where they're, you know, Artemis and Parzival are in the, the dance hall there. And, you know, he, he's expressing his love for her and she's, you don't know me. This right. is not me. I do not look like this. This is how I want to appear. You know, I, I am not this beautiful person that you see standing here. And I think that, you know, that's something that I think we could very easily lose sight of. Like you said, you know, we can we can make our lives look better sometimes than they really are. You know, if we think that's important. Um, and then, of course, that, that saying from Halliday is, you know, real life is the only thing that's real. Right. Right. You know, again, you know, that, that this, this technology we have is wonderful. You know, what we can communicate, the fact that we can communicate with people throughout the world at a click of a mouse, but we have to recognize there are still limitations to it. It's not flesh and blood. There are flesh and blood on either side, but there's that technological barrier in between. 
And and the the thing is, especially at least when you talk about the the carefully curated reality that we present to others, it there's there's also that ability to kind of escape into that careful carefully created reality that you know where we want us. It's you know we can and, and escapism has been people have been escaping into all kinds of things forever long before there was mm-hmm. an internet. Uh, people used to escape into the bottle or into drugs or into other things. Uh, but a lot of people today, they escape into the the Internet, into um, uh, chat rooms or into um, g- games. Uh, there's lots of talk about, like, as we record this, like right now, um, there's lots of talk about kids being coming addicted to Fortnite, uh, mm-hmm. th- th- that they're spending all their time in that. Um, it's, a, you know, th- there there are various reasons for that. But there's, you know. When life becomes hard, life becomes too difficult. When you you know say there's bills that are piling up, or the news is all you know makes you sad every time you see it. Mm-hmm. It's it's easy to kind of escape into a game, um, or escape into a chat room where you can put on a persona, and yeah. and and be someone different. And and there's go, that go danger. Look at, go look at cat videos for hours, right? Because <laughs> we right. know the internet's made of cats. So yeah, or. Or, you know, when you're angry at your life, it's easy to go onto Twitter anonymously and, and become a troll. That's, that's another uh, aspect, another danger of it. You know, Father Corey, you talked about the, that scene where Wade expresses his love for Artemis. That was one of the things, the, the parts of the movie that kind of rang sour for me, uh, in that it just, it just didn't feel real. Like he'd, he'd only known even this, like this, yeah. uh, this avatar. For like a, a, a half a minute, essentially, and yeah. and suddenly he's he's supposed to be like really awkward and uh, you know uh, can't really talk to girls, and suddenly he's expressing his love for her. It felt a little right. bit out of character. I don't know if anyone well, else felt that you way. You know, and that's that you know, like you mentioned about how it really compressed the storyline, and they you know, and you don't get a lot of the character development. They really did change his character very quickly. Yeah. You know, because, you know, then it's it's one thing to have the Clark Kent Superman trick with offline versus online, where offline he's, you know, awkward and bumbling and stumbling around and quiet. But then he gets online and he's hot stuff. Right. You know, and that's one thing. And I think if they had stuck that with the movie, it would have been good. But you notice after that scene, now that you mentioned it, I think about it after that scene, he's got confidence the whole rest of the way, both offline and online. Right. Yes. His character completely changed. Right. Yeah. And it's it 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 didn't initially ring true. I mean, there was supposed to be this idea where Halliday, Halliday's example because Halliday, you know, didn't he didn't kiss the girl when he could have. He didn't, you know, uh keep his friend when he could have. And so Wade is the one who is supposed to, you know, do, do it differently this time. Uh, Those could have been developed more and they, and it didn't feel like it was, uh, and it was maybe just a little bit lost, uh, there, uh, in the story. I just felt like, um, that's just one, one aspect of it. You know, we, we talked a little bit about, um, Sarah, I think you brought up this idea about like real friendships in the real world and then friendships online. Um, you know, is is it possible to have a friend, like a real friend, that you've never met in person, and you know, like you've you've only had online? Is uh, uh, are those relationships real? I often hear people say, "Well, th- those aren't real," um, and then I hear other people say, "No, no, I have real friends who live on the mm-hmm. other side of the world that I've never been in the same room with, but yet we we have a real connection." What? How do you feel about about that difference? Uh, 
You know, I, I have mixed feelings on it. Um, partially because my, my heart says, yeah, totally. But my head says, no. Um, <laughs> you know, I think at some point, if you really want to be, and maybe it's a sign of what my, some of my love language is, but it, you know, if you really are invested in someone and mm-hmm. in the friendship and the relationship, you try to make it work where you meet at least once. Yeah. Um, I think it's important. I mean, I, I think that we were built for in-person human connection. And if you don't have that, I just think it, it makes the relationship more challenging. It doesn't make it any less real necessarily. So maybe I shouldn't have said real friendships, but it makes it more challenging and, and really hard to know if what's happening there is truly authentic. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a, the, the people who I've become closest to are people I've, you know, have that I've met online are people I've then been in the same room with. I mean, we've done that with with our group. So SQPN, we've had the the Catholic New Media Conferences and we've gotten together and a bond develops that goes beyond what we would have what we ever had before. I mean, it's a stronger bond when you've been in a place together, you've mm-hmm. broken bread together. Well, it's and I, I think part of the. The challenge is, of course, the misuse of the term friend as far as like Facebook is concerned and other social media where you can have a lot of Facebook friends that you think about them when you see their name show up on the feed. But they really once you walk away from the computer, once you walk away from the feed, they they're just people that you've seen online. You know, they're they're nameless. They're they're nobodies as far as, you know, what you know about them. Right. Um, But but that that doesn't mean, however, that we can't develop that friendship with people you know and again like you mentioned this group is a good example we have we have all met in person based off of getting to know each other online right do you think part of it um and maybe in the story too it's like we have a common quest there's something deep that bonds us together and that's the fact Mm -hmm. that we want to use these tools um for a particular reason um, it's why most of us, you know, came to podcasting and why we use podcasting because, you know, the, it's hobbies that we enjoy, but we also have a, a larger purpose. And maybe with these characters, they had that as well, too. You know, there was this really immediate quest that bonded them together that gave them this common goal. Yeah, it, I mean, it felt like that, that uh, you know, especially initially, it was H and uh, Parzival and um, and. Uh, Daito and Sho were friends beforehand, uh, but didn't know each other in real life. And did you notice how awkward it was the first time they all met uh, in reality yeah. with that with the van? I think it was the the you know, and they kept meeting. And there was a there was a there was a bond there that they you know oh you know hey you know uh, uh, I recognize you, but there's still that awkwardness of uh, first time meeting in person. I, right. I've noticed that in myself when I've known someone online and you know and i then i meet them in person for the first time and it's there's it's very strange at least for someone who grew up in a you know before the internet i don't know how my kids will be maybe it'll be different for them but for me it's still strange this you know mm-hmm. i know you but i don't know you uh and and it's a very it's an awkward sort of uh exchange like that and but they portrayed it in the movie uh with with that that getting to mm-hmm. know you but but that said, the you accelerate from that moment much faster than you would if you were just meeting someone for the first time because you have those commonalities. You have uh, the the history together, even right. though it was online. Uh, so it does it, it it makes it it easier. 
Um, so I don't, I don't know if we really address this. So is, is the, is the Oasis as a place to escape to or living in VR as a place to escape a bad reality? Do you think that's a, it's, is it healthy for the society and for the individuals? I mean, I feel like the movie comes down on yes and no. I mean, at the end, Mm -hmm. they turn off the Oasis on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You kind of like Mm -hmm. people got to get outside. But like in general, and maybe this is a sort of a cautionary tale for our society as we head in that direction. Um, Is is using these things as a as an escape for a bad reality healthy for us? See, I would put the opinion that it's not. And I, you know, and I would say it's something that we see happening now just with our non VR uh, interactions where so many so much of the rancor and division and fights that we see they're all on the internet yeah let's i mean let's be honest other than you know your occasional politician or news media 90 percent of our fighting and arguing in this country is the united states is on the internet you know somebody who doesn't deal with the internet on a regular basis doesn't know won't won't experience it let's just put it that way i'm not saying it's not there's not real world consequences to that. There are, there are uh, movements and groups that are trying to keep that division going in the real world. Not just. It's almost like it's, it's translating from the, the online, the social media to the real world. They're bringing it from that, that, that aggression from social media and and translating it. I've often, you know, thought that a lot of people, if, you know, especially trolls, but a lot of people, if they post really aggressive, really uh, insulting comments, if we were sitting in the same room, you would never say that. Right. Because, you know, it's very likely you could have a real world consequence of a bloody nose in about five seconds after <laughs> saying that, you know? Yeah, exactly. You don't have to worry about that on the internet. It's the dehumanization of another when you can't gauge someone's in-person reaction and feel the energy that that person is putting out, whether it be happy, mm-hmm. sad, angry, fr- embarrassed, whatever. I mean, you can like feel it. I mean, you could close your eyes, say something to someone and still feel how they're feeling because that's yeah. how we are built as humans. And when you do it through the internet, you know, people feel like they have a license to say whatever they want. Right. I, I think we, that that's another, a way, uh, another example of that is when we're driving, you know, when you're in your car <laughs> and you're surrounded <laughs> exactly. by the car, and you don't see the person in the other car. They cut you off and you're like, why you blah, blah, blah. Like, did you have the experience where you like you yelled at someone, you know, like, hey, you jerk, you cut me off. And then you see them. And you're like, oh, that's that's someone I know. I feel bad now, even though they didn't hear me. You know, like, <laughs> I just I feel bad. I would never I should I wouldn't have said that if I'd known that was them. Oh, hi, pastor. You know, hi, father. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't usually feel bad when I do that. Just <laughs> <No>. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> Uh, but it's the same that's I think it's you're right. It's that dehumanization when you can't see the face in and, and the profile photo doesn't count, uh, mm-hmm. even when there is an actual profile photo. Uh, but when you can't see the face of the person in front of you, it, it's it's a lot easier to say nasty things. And and I wonder, you know, when we get into an, uh, a virtual reality existence, that's like the Oasis, will will we gain some of that back? Will will any of that? Uh, sense of there's a person standing in front of me be there I, like i wonder I, I don't know how whether we will ever get to a point where 
it's like it was in the movie where it feels like there's a real person standing there. Uh, but I, but I, I'm curious whether that will that that sort of world would ever bring back some of that. Hey, I better, I better be nicer about how I interact with someone online. I, I don't know. Have any of you guys actually done the VR thing? Because I've done it at a few um, movie. Like when I get to go to the junkets for new mm. movies, a lot of times this is one of the things I'll demo. Is they'll have these VR things where you actually get to go into the movie. So, for example, with um. Coco, they mm. had the uh, the scene that was like the um, the basically the afterlife place where oh, all wow. the and you could mm. actually kind of go walk around and interact with different characters and it was uh, it was there was you know at first it felt so weird but then I mean literally after like one or two minutes you're like this is so cool and I don't want to come out of here it's like so <laughs> colorful and bright and I feel like I'm walking in the movie and I'm mm. and I've done that probably like five or six times now and I I recognize how it could become addictive mm-hmm. really. Well, um, yeah, I've, I've done some not, nothing like that. Nothing as cool as that, unfortunately. But, um, you know, the Google Daydream View goggles where you use your like my Pixel phone to to um, handle the, the the video and everything. And it you really can get sucked into it. I mean, it's just even on that low of a technology, so to speak, of a smartphone, admittedly, you know, a high end smartphone, but still a smartphone that's running it. But you can get so immersed in that. You know, you're watching like a, a 3D YouTube video is a good example of this. Yeah. Where, you know, there's one I remember where you're they flew over, you know, Victoria Falls in Africa. <laughs> and so you look down and all of a sudden you see the ground just drop beneath you and your gut goes with it. <laughs> yes. You know, he's just like. <gasps> I I saw. Yeah, one, that's freaky. I saw I did one with the, the Google Cardboard, like with my phone, where mm-hmm. it was uh, you were climbing up with the guy who changes the light bulb on the top of the Freedom Tower in New York. 1776 oh, wow. feet above the ground and i'm like nope i'm done <laughs> i can't <laughs> i can't do this <laughs> this is a, this is just a little too much for me but the one i i really wanted to do was um uh, ilm has developed the what was it the uh, it's like star wars vr so sort of like a star wars escape room mm-hmm. sort of thing where you're you're in um a story a star wars story and you're kind of maneuvering around like you're like a rebel in a an imperial base and they it's a combination of vr and practical effects so you're outside you know on the uh, volcanic uh planet and they have heaters blowing in your face as you're seeing oh, sure. the the, uh, the lava and you know the, the there are objects that you can touch and and all this sort of stuff and, and I, I mean that would be really cool it's just but um we're not quite at the point yet where you can and i think they i think they kind of skimmed over this in the movie a little bit where you know, yeah, you're wearing goggles, but you're still aware that you're wearing goggles, I would think. Like you're not you're not it's not the matrix where you're jacked in and your reality mm-hmm. becomes the this other world. And at several points in the movie, you you do see the um, for example, one point where Samantha slash Artemis is is um looking away at something uh when she's in uh, IOI's uh war room. Yeah. And you could and you could tell she's both looking in the virtual reality and outside of it at the same time, and I, and I feel like that 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 part of it, um, it even even for the characters, it wasn't quite as immersive as uh, as as being jacked in for the Matrix. So, and it is something I think that there there's a desire to develop because of course you know there was what 
10, 15 years ago, there was Second Life. Right. And that was really what this was just without the full virtual reality. Yeah. It was a virtual reality, but it was still one that was done on a screen. You didn't have because the, the goggle technology at that time was so incredibly expensive and clunky that no one could actually afford it. But they could do the, you know, the rendering and everything on the screen. Right. You know, the so we have this this virtual reality world. And this, you know, they have a, a Doom world where you can fight battles and you can shoot other characters, mm -hmm. and um, and it's you know not unlike the world we live in, but but the, the raises interesting questions about and and actually I see people talking about this even with today's technology, the morality of our actions in an online or virtual reality environment. Um, I've heard people talk about you know in video games, even the video games we have now, um, you know, is shooting an unarmed combatant or doing something. Uh, that would be considered to be a uh, bad sport or, or, you know, the morality of, of actions taken in a virtual reality space. Um, you know, what, what is the morality is, is there, is there moral weight to our actions in, in, in virtual reality and in virtual games? What do you think? I mean, I mean, from a mom perspective, I have to say that, like, I, I can't take that hat off, even though my kids are like really old. Um, but I, I just think there's there's a that's got to do something to your brain when you permit yourself to begin to place yourself into these environments where something that you would never think of doing in real life um, becomes suddenly not only permissible, but you're rewarded for it. You know, mm -hmm. your score heightens when you shoot more people or whatever. I, it's just, to me, it's like, it's got to do something to the inside of your brain and ultimately the inside of your soul that compromises right. you. That's my thought about it. Right. Does it, uh, does it get worse the more real the simulation becomes, the more immersive? What What do you think? See, I, 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 yeah, I, I would argue that the more you're putting yourself into that, um, that it becomes an action uh, that you're choosing. You know, it, it's I, I think about this because this is something that, you know, of course, speaking as a priest, you know, we are going to have to struggle with. And think about and really consider, you know, like, for example, you play Grand Theft Auto, right. you know, a part of that game can be if you want to go kill a whole bunch of innocents and all these other things, if you want, or you don't have to, you've got that choice. But is that like an actor playing a, a violent role? You know, is that something like, um, you know, um, playing a serial killer in a movie? And having to portray killing his victims, is that like uh, playing a a sex worker in a movie and having to portray enticing these people to use her services and so on? Yeah, you know. And so it, it's it's something I think it's going to have to be really thought about because especially in something like this where it's a much more immersive world. Although then then there's the sense though that people really didn't die their avatars just got reset to zero. They got right. zeroed out. There's no real inj lasting injury, uh, perhaps emotional or. I mean, uh, anybody who's yeah. played a video game, you know, knows how much it it's the pits to start all over. <laughs> see game over and have to start all over. <laughs> Level Inside. one game over noise. Womp womp. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's. It, yeah. And, and again, it's something like this where you could. 
in theory, and they they really they did more than hint at it in the movie. You could really immerse yourself physically, at least as far as the touch, oh. the sense, <laughs> yeah, into this yeah. world, and you could fill in the blanks of what that would mean. Um, again, at what point does that become an immoral act? Right. Um, yeah. You know, so it's it's something that that we it's not as cut cut and dry as it is in the real world. Let's just put it that way. I'm I'm wondering if the Vatican will ever have to someday have a uh, issue some guidance to pastors, <laughs> the priests, <laughs> for confession of virtual reality. Uh, I, in, I, index of for index of forbidden games, just like yeah. the index of forbidden books, like there yeah. used to be. Well, you know, I, I, I'm tempted to ask you if someone has ever confessed uh, to something they've done in a, a video game, but I, I won't. Uh, but if someone were to were to sort of say, you know, Father, I I was. Are you asking this for a friend, Dom? For a friend, yes. <laughs> yeah. Lisa, wow. Let's just say. <laughs> I wish I had time to play video games, but let's just say there was a friend. Uh, his name is Maud, and uh, <laughs> yeah, Cinemod. Uh, Ed, no, um, no, but if someone were to confess, like, hey, I was playing this video game and I, uh, I, I took a lot of joy in, in really mowing them down, the, the other guys mm-hmm. and, uh, really, you know, cheating somehow or, you know, uh, become, betraying my, my clan or my team or whoever it is. Like, if, if someone confessed that, would you feel that that was being scrupulous or how would you deal with it? I'm kind of curious. Yeah, I'd have to really think about it. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, and especially if you're talking like a multiplayer massive, you know, MMRPG. Yeah. Um, then you could have actually the aspect of respect towards others, you know, and 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 their their participation in the game and their their expectation of you and trust in you as far as it goes again through a virtual environment. Um. And I, I think you would have to kind of explore, okay, is is it just the guy had a lot of fun doing this or there was actual something psychological going on that might reveal a deeper concern, both sinfully and psychologically? I mean, wouldn't you hope for consistency of character no matter what you're doing, where mm-hmm. you are, where it's happening? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, again, and it's, it's one of those things where – if he is playing purposely playing an evil character, you know, you're, you're, that's one thing. But again, it's, it, it goes down to what is his psychological reaction? Can he turn that character off and re- recognize that it was just playing a character? This was role playing. This was not who he really is. Right. The difference yeah. between an actor, you know, going on stage, reading his lines, acting out the part. And then the guy who gets so into it that he becomes yeah. a jerk in real life while he's while he's playing and, this role. Uh, and actually, as I think about it now, there's a lot of parallels between a lot of the concerns about role playing games, you know, Dungeons yeah. and Dragons and things like that, um, which is interesting because that played a part of this movie. They mentioned, you know, the gold mines of Gygax, Gary Gygax, who created yeah. uh, D&D. But. That was a lot of the concern, especially back in the 80s, as role playing games started to get popular, was. Are people getting too into this to the point where it is affecting who they are as a person versus they're just acting out their own story? They're just making up a story as they go along with the help of the game master, the dungeon master. 
And as soon as the game's over, they walk away and they're back to their, they're who they are. Right. You know, also let's hope that someone's not playing this so many hours that they forget who they are because that in and of itself right. is, is a problem. Yes. Right. Well, it, it doesn't, don't those concerns about D and D from the eighties seem so quaint now. I know, right? <laughs> I mean, if they only knew. I, I actually would say my mom threw away all my D and D books when I was in in high school for that <laughs> very reason. She was afraid. She, you know, she had this the friend of hers telling her, "Oh no, it's it's from the devil, and it's gonna suck him in, and he's gonna lose touch with reality." I'm like, I read I read ten books a week. We don't, I'm already escaping reality. Yeah, in, into this books. is what people said about Harry Potter too, Dom. Yep, exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, there, there will always be people who don't, who do get sucked in, but that has more to do with their own psychological makeup, uh, I think, uh, than exactly than the exact thing that sucks them in. Um, the, one of the things that the movie w- wants to tell us is that re- reality matters. That's that's sort of a theme. Mm-hmm. Halliday comes right and says it. But it's kind of funny that in the movie, it it the it, the the reality in the movie is sort of unreal. Uh, I, I kind of think it's funny, like. Two people who only know each other online can and do find each other in real life. They're perfect for each other. They're actually attractive people, you know, in real life. They're mm-hmm. the right age for each other. They have the same uh, uh, ethnic background as each other. You know, it's it's kind of funny. Like they they kind of went with something that was sort of um, a little too neat. Uh, I, I kind of wish that that they'd taken a little more risks with the differences between their online personas and their real mm-hmm. life persons. Um, and I know that in the book, um, the re- you know, uh, Samantha's and, uh, and, and Wade's real life personages were very plain and normal and sort of nerd gamer types. So I just, mm-hmm. I just thought I'd, I'd point that out. I don't know if that was, uh, anyone wanted to make a comment on that. Um, but from from here, I kind of want to like spend the, the the next part of our podcast talking about um, your favorite parts of this movie. You know, the things that kind of stand out for you, um, any of the the Easter eggs or the re- cultural references. It's almost hard to call them Easter eggs because it's all right out in front of you. Um, mm-hmm. One of the one of the first ones that I really loved was the uh, Halliday's funeral scene uh, where he's sort of in the funeral home. Where he's, oh, yeah. it's the Star Trek reference, and he's in. Did anyone? I don't know if anyone's got. He's in the Mark Six torpedo, the same one that Spock is shot out in, in <laughs> Wrath of Khan, uh, and then is later resurrected from. Uh, spoilers for a thirty-year-old movie. Uh, res, he's resurrected from in, in uh, Search for Spock, but that was one of my uh, first early ones. Um, mm-hmm. And the quarters on his eyes, I did find uh, find this out, are dated nineteen seventy-two. That you know the. Mm-hmm. the which was the year Ernie Klein was born. So that was, uh, I think, a reference to uh, to the author, which was sure. really cool. Um, what what were your favorite um, references or moments in the in the story? You know, it's weird for me that it was actually I love the Shining scene, um, even though I've never actually seen the Shining. So. <laughs> Now I kind of want to go watch The Shining. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I actually agree that that, that whole. The Overlook Hotel was entirely virtual reality. There was, the, I mean, they had a few practical sets. They had like the elevator doors and, uh, you know, some doorways, but everything else, like the whole lobby, that was vir- virtual reality, which was fantastic. I mean, uh, uh, not virtual, CGI was what I meant to say, it was CGI. Yeah. Um, I was curious 
in the original movie, Kubrick, the way he designed the Overlook, the architecture was impossible. Um, I, I read this great article about it. At, at one point, if you mapped out where all the all the hallways go, they like hall, there's a hallway that goes off, and from one direction, it's looking outside. So if you're like in a in an adjoining room, you, you'd be looking at a window. But if you're in the hallway, it's right next to it. The window should open up on the hallway, and it's not just a mistake. That all it, he did it purposefully. Uh, to kind of mess with your head as you watched it. Mm. And I don't know the movie well enough, The Shining well enough, to see whether they actually were doing that <laughs> in it. So it was kind of uh, uh, interesting. But uh, I did. I loved the, the Shining bits as well. Uh, any, anyone else? Uh, Sarah, what was your favorite uh, references or Easter eggs? No, oh, that's really hard to pick, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, I love 80s culture. I just always have, you know, I have a members only jacket, et cetera, et cetera. So nice. I think for me watching the, uh, this is such a girl comment, but like the the way they dress, like I just thought it was really mm-hmm. neat to to watch how for the movie in particular, they chose to dress the actors to portray whatever it was that they were doing in that moment. Well, cool. How about you, Father Corey? Do you have any particular? Uh, well. For me, it was, uh, of course, growing up in the 80s and very much into the 80s technology. You know, I had Commodore 64 set up and, mm-hmm. you know, Nintendo. Matter of fact, I've got both the Nintendo Mini and the Super Nintendo Mini sitting downstairs <laughs> and all that good stuff. You know, all the little 80s technology things they threw in there, like especially that his room, Halliday's room yes. as a child. Yeah. How it was just full. You know, he, had, he had an Intellivision video game he was yep. in there playing on he had an i old style ibm pc underneath that and it, you just saw it for just a brief second but of course i caught it yeah. commodore 1541 disk drive which was the disk drive for the commodore 64 he also had a mac had lc the, under there too right about LC the Easter as egg. well right next to it <laughs> you know and it so i mean there were all these and there was much more than that i mean there yeah. was just all there this was, there were toys by the way i just did sorry to interrupt but there were toys no. in that room that i remember as a kid saying I want that. I don't even remember yeah. what it was like a part of it was whether from a movie or some, some toy world mm-hmm. or something. But I'm like that, like it was like a roll around. It was like a truck sort of thing. I'm like that. I remember wanting that. It, it just, <laughs> it would so, be so the, fun to design this show. This but movie. the movie was so full of all these little artifacts from the eighties. Yeah. That if you just, if you're watching it, you, you'd pick them up and notice them right away. And that 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 for me was just so cool is to see it. again like all these things that I remember that I had one of those I wanted that I wanted to play with that you know <laughs> yes exactly uh, there, there were um, the, one of the things that Spielberg talked about in the uh, in the behind the scenes like the DVD extras was that when he f- read the book so he read the script first and the script was co-written by Ernie Klein so he he actually wrote the script at the when he, just after he finished the manuscript before the book was even published. Um, and then had worked with uh, Zach Penn, who was the co-screenwriter later. Um, but Spielberg read the script first, then he read the book and he loved it. Uh, but then he had a problem because the book was so full of his own references to the stuff either he directed or produced by his company. He's like, I can't make this movie. People will think I'm just promoting myself. So they actually had to strip all <laughs> and- that out. <laughs> yeah. And there's a few left in there. There's a there's a uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark poster in Young Halliday's uh, room. There's a couple of things like that in there. Um, the robot. 
the which one the uh is it the Iron Giant? Oh, the Iron Giant. Was that at yeah. Spielberg? I think I think it was. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, but uh, so maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I, he might he might have been involved with it. I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, there's just there were there was, so there was it was if to have any director doing it, having Steven Spielberg directing it, that's for, for sure. Well, it was so kind of interesting too that then they kind of shifted more to Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis, right? Back to the Future, the Zemeckis cue, which rolls time back sixty seconds. Yes. Did you catch the the musical cue when he did it? So when he activated it, they played a little bit of the Back to the Future theme. Uh, yeah. It was great. Well, they also also played the the music from the reveal of the DeLorean at the beginning of the race. Right, right. There was that, and then uh, the uh, the other one of the other ones is Monty Python, the Holy Hand Grenade of Antioch. Oh yes, uh, I wanted awesome. him to pull it I and count it. to three. That's what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not five five's right out yeah yeah, five is right out uh kill a bunny rabbit that would have been great to have a kill a bunny rabbit too um what did you think about the change of the challenges so we had the you know in the uh in the original one of the challenges was war games uh involved war games another one involved uh playing the original D &D module uh which we did get a little Mm -hmm. bit of by the way the there was a, a graphic of like a, of a of a mouth gaping demon mm-hmm. figure on the back of uh, H's van. That was actually from the artwork on the original D and D module. I I remember seeing that and going, I know that from somewhere. Couldn't place <laughs> it, and then I saw it in the DVD extras. That's where it's well, from. And, and again, that's where they mentioned the the Gary Gygax. That's where yes. that reference came in as well. As there was the one planet that was the D and D planet. Right, right, exactly, and and uh, so, what did you think of the those those changes of the challenges to what they did on the screen, where they had the race and the? Uh, did it work for you? Did it? Uh, did you miss the the book ones? Sarah I missed and, a lot. I missed yeah. a lot. I you know the movie was great, is entertaining. The book was like fifty million times better. Yeah, I just was more immersive in the whole plot and the challenges and. Um, the challenges in particular, because there were more of them and they seemed like they lasted longer in the movie, they were different and truncated. It seemed like they were almost Mm -hmm. easier. There was like, as I'm listening to the book, the whole time I'm thinking every challenge, he's going to fail. He's going to fail. He's going to fail. He's going to fail. And then especially when we're talking about him with the extra life, you know, that was something that followed me in my brain as I was reading the whole book was, you know, he got that coin pretty early on and he's like, I have no idea this is like, why do I have this? Why do I have this coin? But I feel like in the movie, it wasn't as much of a ongoing mystery. It seemed to, he got the coin and then he used it. It seemed like it was just quick as far as the plot went. Right. I, I agree. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, yeah. (laughs) We keep talking over each other. So, (laughs) You know, and that's I think that is the difficulty of of bringing it from book to screen. And maybe like we said at the beginning, it would have been better to do it as a series or a trilogy where they could have taken the time because you you look at this, this massive quest for basically the entire world. Right. You know, virtually, but still the world economy, really. And it, it, it's mm-hmm. and it's the, fir- the the solution to the first quest was to drive backwards very quickly. <laughs> right. right. You know, and that that so I, I yeah, I, it, it really does. You can see in the book where these quests would have been a challenge that it would have taken a very 
special person or people to actually complete them or to find the way through that then everybody else follows. There was, Don't you, know, you think, too, that the technology, like the fact that, you know, most people saw this in 3D, that it's like it's being filmed in this age now where we want the quick payoff. Yep. We don't want slow relationship movies. We want, you know, we want the the pizzazz. We want action. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I, mean, well, I listened to the audiobook in like three days because I <laughs> yeah. was addicted. I thankfully was on a road trip for work so I could jam out like in the car. And then I'd, I'd get home, I'd put in my earbuds and I'd listen to it while I cooked dinner until I was just like falling asleep. I was so addicted to finishing this book. Yeah. Well, I, I will say this after watching the movie, I want to go grab the book again. Yeah, I do too. I want to go read it again. One of the things about the book and, and the, the setup in the book that I really missed was that the first challenge took place on the school planet. So kids went to school yeah. in virtu- in o- the Oasis mm-hmm. in the in yep. the book. And the first challenge, because Wade had no money, he was the poorest kid in, in, in living in slums. It, it, it's almost like the, mm-hmm. the favelas of of South America. You know what I mean? It's like it's supposed to be that way in the, the stacks. And so yep. he was so poor, there was no way he couldn't actually get off the planet, the school planet. And that's where Halliday hid the first challenge. And that was so you, you get that sense of Halliday's intent was that one of the kids in school would be the one mm-hmm. would be someone who would be discovering the challenges. And so there was this this um, the, the what am I to say? The, the, the contrast to, between that and IOI Corporation trying to take over another yeah. corporation was supposed to be even greater than it was. Um, and I, I did miss right. a little of that. One thing I will say, though, is how they portrayed the stacks was very much how I pictured it in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I think they did an excellent job of portraying that where they're just these old trailer homes strapped together, basically, with with metal bar, metal frames. And right. Yeah. I how think it, they did an excellent and job. And a little bit that. of luck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And just like that idea that there's that they're so cramped in with one of that opening scene where he's kind of coming down from the, the trailer and he's going through people's space and they're kind of ignoring, you notice how they ignore each other. The guy's getting the pizza delivery yeah. and kind of ignoring. And you have to, like when people live cheek by jowl like that in those sorts of situations, you have to develop this social uh, barrier, the social custom of I'm not paying attention to the things that are mm-hmm. right in front of me because that's the only way we can, we could live like this. And it was, so it was, I thought that was a very interesting, it, yeah, it was really good. But one of my best, one of my, one of the best, one of my favorite bits was the end at the the treasure room. Uh, so once mm-hmm. he unlocks the three <laughs> keys, he goes in. Did anybody else catch? This is Saint Peter's Basilica. I mean, this essentially, yeah, it's changed, but there's still the architectural elements of Saint Peter's are still there, including the Baldacchino, the Bernini Baldacchino, which is different. They've changed it. But what I love about it is. How appropriate is that there's an Easter egg on top of St. Pete, the high altar of St. Peter's and Easter egg. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was great. Easter. Like, so, you know, the, the, we, I think we forget or, or maybe culturally we forget where Easter egg comes from, you know, uh, in the computer games or in now we talk yep. about Easter eggs in movies. Um, but it comes from this idea of a hidden treasure that right. we find on the holiday that celebrates the resurrection of Christ. 
and and that it takes place in St. Peter's Basilica. I just thought that was really yep. cool. And that's, so we are the original Gunters. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> we are the Gunters. We are the egg hunters. Uh, By, and it, it was the keys to the kingdom that opened up St. Peter's yes, Basilica. There you go. <laughs> By the way, speaking of Easter eggs, I don't know if you guys remember this, but there was an Easter egg in the book. There was a huge Easter egg in the book. That he hid in the book. Print edition. So this is a real thing. Okay. There was a a series of letters. You had, he said that there was a quest within the book that led to someone winning a DeLorean, an actual DeLorean car. And basically there were, Letters, of course, you couldn't see it. You couldn't see it in the Kindle version. You couldn't hear an audiobook, but there were letters that had notches taken out of them. And if you filled out, took every single one of these letters in order, it was a web address. You went to that web address and it was the first of three challenges. And the person who completed the three challenges first got the DeLorean. Wow. Wow. That's course, again, awesome. you know, I, I read it on Kindle, you know, Same on, on iPad, but Kindle. Yeah. And then, you know, Sarah, you listened to it on audiobook, so we didn't have any chance at all of winning it. (laughs) Yeah, but you know, I only want a DeLorean if it is an actual time machine. I know. (laughs) Exactly. Well, actually, Ernie Klein actually owns a DeLorean now. He went out and bought one. And his license plate, he lives in Texas, his license plate is Ecto-88, so. Nice. uh, Which is great. It's appropriate. to to, uh, to I was just looking up online here, to win this DeLorean, they first had to... You click, you type in that link, and it takes you to a new Atari 2600 video game called Stacks. After you <laughs> completed that, then you had to do a Facebook video game created by Richard Garriott, which, if you're familiar with 1980s video games, you oh, know yeah. the Ultima series. And he was Lord Britain. Lord Britain. Lord, yeah. Lord Brit- yeah. Uh, in that. So he's famous for doing video games. And then once you've done that, then you had to set a new world record on Pac-Man, Joust Arcade, Joust Atari 2600, Black Tiger, or Robotron 2084. And whoever's the first one to complete all that got the DeLorean. Wow. And his name is Craig Queen. Yep. I, just, I just looked it up. Wow. We never had a prayer, guys. No. No. There's no, there's no. no way. Yeah. No. I, I am not. It would have been fun to try, up. but. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been fun to find it. That's for sure. That's for sure. Um, that's awesome. Cool. So um, in the end, sort of the, the idea, you know, one of the things I, I walked away from asking myself is, does anything in this movie actually end up mattering in the real world of 2045? Uh, d- does what they do make the world better? They close the loyalty. Uh, what do they call them? The, lo- the Loyal- loyalty centers, the loyalty centers, which are exactly, essentially the poor houses of of uh 2045 so they close those down so that that's better so any i mean so but does anything else i mean what do you think i mean is in other words i you know i do think the whole thing that they mentioned about shutting down uh oasis on two days a week at least is a good step towards that yeah because people then are actually forced to get out of the virtual world and look and interact with people in the real world and, right. you know, the, the fact is there's so many problems in the world that can be solved if we just get out of our our heads, so to speak, and actually interact with people in the real world. Get off of Twitter, people. <laughs> <laughs> at least hey. for a while. <laughs> well, at least for a while. Or if, Facebook. If we, sh- if or, we shut off yeah. Twitter for maybe a week and just made people interact in real life with each other, 
it might it might change people's perspective. I, I think there's thought. people that have withdrawals if we did that. Yeah, I still. think we'd have more fist fights. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing over there? I'm typing uh, into the notes uh, uh, app on my phone because I want to tweet this when the Twitter's back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, all right. So, um, one of the things that kind of struck me, by the way, is is kind of a a, a, a big question was um, in the final battle. They showed people running around outside in VR goggles, like running down the street in groups. Yeah. How do they keep people from running into the streets? I was thinking that too. <laughs> exactly. Because we were going to get hit by a car or running to other people. Uh, Electric yeah. fences like dogs? I don't know. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, at, at least they, they're, their goggles, they can actually see out of all they're playing. You know, if you've ever used virtual reality goggles now, if yeah. you don't have an open space, you're going to trip on a chair or a couch or something. <laughs> I have seen that. There are a lot of... Uh, of uh video fail videos online that show people uh, crashing while wearing uh, uh VR goggles. So uh, so this has been a great discussion. Um it, it, I don't know if you all, if you all have any last thoughts on it or anything we didn't cover. Um but I feel like it's been a just that I need to go get the book. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you yeah, have to go reread the book. Yeah, if you haven't the book. if you've seen the movie and have read the book, get the book. I mean it's it's they always say the book the book is always better than the movie. And in this case it's true. Uh, there mm-hmm. are some movies where that there has happened where the movie was better, but in this case, um, the book is better. Uh, well, actually, I want to ask, uh, um, Father Corey and Sarah, did you read his uh, Ernie Klein's second book, Armada? I no, haven't yet. Not yet, but it's on my Audible account, so oh, okay. I want to. Uh, I'll be curious to to, to 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 hear what you thought of it. Uh, whether it's a sophomore slump, whether it. Um, uh, lives up to the promise or, or what uh, there is a talk that it's already been optioned for movies of course uh oh, of course of course but uh so i'll be curious to see what you think of no, that I have one, to go check it out actually i didn't even it. know that he had a second book so i'll definitely have to go check that out yeah and uh and, and just in sort of related andy weir who did uh the martian also had a uh, just had a second book come out last year called artemis which oh, is, that's cool which is kind of funny but actually that was very good it was different still sci-fi but different from Martian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I liked it. It was good. Uh, but I'll, I'll, I'm curious to see what you think. So, And Dom, you got the uh, the Blu-ray, right? Or the uh, DVD? Of Ready Player One? Uh, yeah. Uh, no, actually, I did the iTunes uh, movie. Oh, okay. And the, the, Does, as the iTunes extras with it. Super. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of... I, I'm, I'm, I, I don't buy DVDs for pretty much anymore. That's just a little tangent. Yeah. But I do get the DVD <laughs> Netflix subscription still, which makes me like one of only like like I think there's like a million of us left in all of <laughs> Netflixdom who still get the DVDs in the mail, just because there's a lot of these you can't actually get streaming. So it's yeah. you know put it all streaming. Do you still have your Blockbuster card? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's long gone. <laughs> uh, I it's, well, let's speaking of the '80s. Um, uh, there were the uh, just the other day. I heard someone was being nostalgic about going to Blockbuster. Like, oh, don't you remember how great it was to go to Blockbuster and pick up a video and come home? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'd go to Blockbuster on a Friday night. Oh, I'm getting the latest release. 
oh, all 40 copies are out. Oh, yeah. now we have to wander around for half an hour trying to figure out what we're going to watch. I've seen that one. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, I suppose we'll get this one. Then you bring it home, you watch it, and you forget to return it for a week, and you pay a, a late fee. Yep. And you didn't uh, rewind it. Exactly. So. Be kind, <laughs> rewind. <laughs> I, you know I what, much no, prefer Tom, what we have. These are great stories that kids don't experience anymore. <laughs> Back in my day. I mean, maybe go, they go oh, to the red box <laughs> machine, right? Like That's exactly. the closest yeah. that they have. Or when I was a kid, I hated when anyone had a zero in their phone number. <laughs> Because you, yeah. you had to dial all the way around the dial. <laughs> Two zeros in your number. What are you, crazy? <laughs> yep, I remember. I remember when. Uh, in 2045, that'll be me. I remember yeah. when I actually had phone numbers memorized. <laughs> exactly. exactly. I have a hard time remembering my wife's phone number on her cell phone. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the world we live in now. Well, we need to get rid of uh, phone numbers and just like have names. Like a like a phone number is such an archaic idea. Just call. What, what do you just like shout into the universe? Lisa Hendy. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, hey, Shlomo. I, I don't want to activate the, the phone. Hey, Shlomo, call Sarah in Atlanta. <laughs> That's how it should be. I, I, I prefer that. Kind of anyway. do it, but you got to make sure you got your contacts set up right. <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to know, you know what I mean? We should yeah. all just have a, our own location, our own IP address. Three blanks for mom. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all right. So uh, I guess that I, I should wrap it up here because we, because we're having a lot of fun, but uh, so uh, that's it from us. So what did you think of ready player one? Uh, what did you think of the movie? What did you think of the book? Uh, and what did you think of what we had to say about it? Uh, are we on target? Are we off base? Uh, we want to know. So go to sqpn.com or to the SQPN Facebook page. Leave us some feedback on today's show. Or you can send us an email to secrets at sqpn.com. Um, I'll put links to all of our uh, social media or websites on our show notes on sqpn.com so you can uh, connect with us that way. And uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed to make sure that you receive all future installments of the Secrets of Movies and TV Shows. Uh, coming up, we're going to have Secrets of the Expanse and Secrets of Coco, the movie. And we've got others in the pipeline. Uh, so we're going to continue doing the the Indiana Jones movies. Those were fun. We, we already did Raiders of the Lost Ark, so I want to keep doing the, the others, even the not-so-good ones, because uh, that, that's, that's still fun. So anyway, until then, uh, Sarah Vabulous, thank you for sharing in the Secrets of Ready Player One. Thanks, Dom. It was great. Uh, Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Oh, glad to be here. And thanks, Dom. And Lisa Hendy, thank you. Thanks, guys. Great to be with you. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and thank you for listening. <laughs>